Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. favorite quotes is from uh, Chuck Swindoll. He said that when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible individual and he crushes him. When God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible individual and crushes him. And it kind of reminds me of a potter uh, working with clay, right? The potter has to uh, sort of smash the clay several times so that he can build it back up in a, into a useful vessel on the, on the potter's wheel. Um, chances are if, if you know somebody that God is using or someone that you would consider to be a spiritual person um, that's attuned to the Lord, has spiritual ears and eyes, uh, that person has probably been through crushing experiences in their life. And one of those crushing experiences is uh, personal failure. Uh, God allows you to fail uh, so he can build you back up again. The believers um, you look to who, who seem to be in touch with the Lord and, and who seem to know his ways have all have probably experienced great failures in their life. Um, just that they've learned the hard way. Right by 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 not listening to the Lord sometimes and experiencing the consequences they've they've learned to listen. That's the idea. I think uh, some of the one of the best educations we'll ever we're ever going to receive in this life is the education that comes from the school of failure. And uh, Moses today in uh, Exodus chapter two is about to get his PhD in wilderness studies. Is what we're going to call it. Um, so, uh, first heading in our notes is Moses' failure in Egypt. And um, before we read, as, as we resume the, the study of Moses' life, it's, it's helpful to note that between verses uh, 10 and 11, uh, 10 is where we left off, we're going to pick up an 11 today, 40 years have elapsed in Moses' life. Uh, 40, 40 years. And uh, you don't have to, you know... You don't have to worry about that. Be like, wow, you know, we're doing a biographical study on Moses. What happened to these 40, during these 40 years? Um, well, there's still a lot of life left to live for Moses. Actually, Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen's testimony, he divides Moses' life up into, up into three periods of 40. He spends 40 years in Egypt thinking that he's something. He spend, then spends 40 years in the desert learning that he's nothing. And then he spends the last 40 years of his life proving God to be everything, basically. So uh, it's kind of a snippet of his life. But let's pick it up in verse 11 uh, through 14. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren, and so he looked uh, this way, and he looked that, and when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian 
and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and said, Surely this matter has become known. So uh, Moses, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, and Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Well, we also need to read this morning uh, just another passage, a parallel passage, Acts chapter 7, 21 through 29. Uh, again, this is Stephen's testimony about Moses. Um, Stephen, the first uh, Christian martyr. But after he had been set outside, uh, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son, which we read about last week. Um, and Moses was uh, educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away and, and, and saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And at this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So, again, 40 years have passed at this point in Moses' life. Um, after being weaned as a young child by his mother, um, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was adopted into Pharaoh's family. And so he basically goes from this mud hut, uh, probably eating a lot of leeks and onions, you know, and fish, to living in a palace overnight with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's got the best of the, all the world's pleasures before him. Uh, you know, it, many believe he also would have been next in line uh, for Pharaoh's throne, too, uh, that, that he didn't actually have any, any children. So Moses would have been next up to take the throne. And if nothing else, depending on the Pharaoh, he would have at least been a ruler or a judge of some kind in Pharaoh's court. And so you have to think Moses at this point in his life has, has the world at his fingertips. I mean, anything he wants, he gets. He, he's nurtured in the, in the best of Egypt, the, the superpower of the world at the time. And he has unlimited wealth and, and pleasures available to him. I can just picture him now uh, cruising down the Nile past crocodiles on a golden barge, you know, and everybody bowing down to Moses as he goes by. But as for his education, some Jewish traditions and extra-biblical sources say Moses was trained at this, uh, we'll call it a university, called the Temple of the Sun. Uh, the Temple of the Sun, uh, the Sun God Ra. But uh, this was basically the Oxford of the day or the Harvard of the day, whatever you want to call it, Princeton. Um, this was the, the place to go. If you were a noble family and you lived in Egypt or you were in one of the surrounding nations, uh, you sent your kids to this school. It was the cream of the crop school. Um, his informal education here probably included all those, you know, swimming and horse riding, shooting bows, hunting. He had formal education 
which probably included linguistics, right? Reading and writing, uh, probably Akkadian, Hebrew, Egyptian. Um, that's going to prove helpful later in writing the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible. Um, this is probably where he uh, developed a love for music and, and writing music. Remember, Moses writes one of the Psalms. We, we see that this would be helpful um, later on as he writes triumphant, triumphant songs of God's victory, victories in the Exodus. Um, he's here probably studying art, um, religion and theology, mathematics, science, medicine, astronomy, philosophy, law. I mean, he's learning all these things. And um, no doubt this is also probably where he learned to walk like an Egyptian, right? Just, just a joke. My dad joke for the day. I got it out. Okay, I'm good. But with all that said, like Moses is a really sharp individual, right? I mean, this guy, Stephen says, he's, he's a man of power and deeds, or power and words. Uh, so he's, he's a statesman, and he's a soldier at this point in his life, right? This guy, this guy could be president, right? He's got the people's respect. He's, he's, people, people are bowing, the down, bowing down to Moses. He's an inspiring, up-and-coming, competent leader. According to historian Josephus, uh, by the time he was 30, uh, he's looking back into Jewish traditions about Moses during this time, but he said he had proven himself uh, victorious as a military commander. He had defeated armies, armies of Ethiopia. He was right, really just a, a man that had proven himself at this point in his life. Um, so he's, he's probably starting to get a big head, you know. <laughs> uh, but those, those, his, his time as a military commander, too, is probably going to prove helpful when? When Israel goes to take the land, uh, when they go to take the land of Canaan, when he engages in battle there. So, well, there's a lot, like we looked at last week, there's a lot of things, a lot of circumstances surrounding Moses' birth and his upbringing. There's a lot of these things that we would naturally want to change, right? The genocide, the adoption, all these things, his Egyptian education maybe. Some of the, the he's being taught to worship pagan gods. Um, there's a lot we would change here. But you have to remember, we must keep in mind that God is sovereignly, carefully, directing, arranging, and crafting the, the set of circumstances that Moses is in so that he becomes this perfect deliverer for Israel. You know, it's, it's, he's going to be just this, this, the perfect deliverer that Israel needs to be led out of Egypt. And so uh, God knows what he's doing. And God's going to use this, this mess. He's going to use it all. It reminds me really of what some of the prophets said in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, you can think of Paul. Paul in the New Testament in Galatians says that, he says, I was set apart to be an apostle from my mother's womb. And I kind of like the prophets, you know, from my mother's womb, I was set apart for this task. You know, Paul says in Galatians, everything he went through, right, being a Roman citizen, growing up outside of the land of Israel, um, being educated under Gamaliel, you know, like this, this leading uh, leading rabbi. I mean, everything that Paul went through, God prepared him to be this, this apostle to the Gentiles. And so I think that's the same thing with us, too. I mean, in a sense, everything we go through, our, our, our set of life circumstances that we're given, right? The cup that we're given to drink. It, it, God is preparing us for something later on through it all. 
And so I hope that gives you hope. But uh, as important as Moses' Egyptian education is going to be to, to his divine task, he's not quite ready to lead God's people yet. That's very plain. Now, he needs his uh, education in the wilderness first. But before we get to his failure that leads to the wilderness, we should note, I think, what the New Testament says about Moses at this point in his life. Um, even though Moses... Uh, was clearly being groomed to be the next, uh, to be an Egyptian, maybe even to be Pharaoh, um, he never forgot where he came from. He never forgot the quarry from which he was dug. He never forgot his Hebrew roots. Uh, actually, he remained loyal to the God of the Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, verse 24 says, By faith, and remember this is a book about faith, and God's deliverance through faith. But by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Ooh, so there's tension in the household, right? Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So, interesting commentary on Moses' life. Um, we don't know, really, how long that his mother, Jochebed, uh, had to nurse Moses. It could have been uh, three to four years. Um, but uh, she apparently might have had time to instill in his heart a love for God. And uh, if not, he was at least aware of the fact that he was a Hebrew. He was aware of... Early on that he was adopted and he learned about the God of the Hebrews. Either way, uh, Moses never forgot his origins. And it's, it's at this time in his life, about 40 years old, where he experiences this turning point and he says, I'm, I'm, leaving, a, I'm leaving all this Egyptian stuff behind. I'm forsaking it all for, for the God of Israel. And he identifies with God's people. It's it's pretty neat. He made a monumental decision to identify with God's people and their expected Messiah, leaving all that worldly pleasure behind. Um, but just like, but just like many new and or zealous believers do when they hit that turning point in their lives, um, he failed to distinguish, I think, between passion and principle, and he slays an Egyptian that's beating one of the Hebrews. Uh, I think he's sincere, I think he's sympathetic towards his Hebrew brethren, but it's still a mistake that he makes striking down this Egyptian. It entered into his mind to do this. This is not something that God led him to do. Okay? Um, it's amazing to me, just reading this, how um, about this time in his life, I mean, he makes this noble decision to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, and then the next moment just makes a terrible decision. Right, it kind of reminds me of Peter in the Gospels, and and Peter's, you know, Jesus says, "Who am I?" And Peter says, "You're the Christ." And you know, Jesus praises him for that. You know, like God revealed this to you, Peter, and that's a great job. And then the next thing, you know, get behind my back, Satan. That's what Jesus is telling Peter because Peter tries to stop him from going to the cross. And so it's just like, man, a great decision one second. Horrible decision the next. You know, that's, that's us. That's us as sinners, you know. One, one moment we're walking with the Lord, one moment we're not. And, and so uh, it's comforting probably to see that in Moses, one of the greatest deliverers. 
But uh, I think Moses at this point in his uh, life is already on his way out of Pharaoh's family, right? He knows it. You know, Pharaoh knows it. They're not getting along, and he understands that, uh, at least Moses understands, that God wants to use him to be Israel's deliverer. I think he has it in his mind and heart that this is why God put him here. And uh, in fact, it acts, the book of Acts says he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance. I, thought by, I think that he thought by slaying this, this Egyptian that he was going to prove his loyalty to the Hebrews, to the Hebrews and then the Hebrews were going to start to rally around him. Right? This is Moses. Oh, wow, Moses is on our side. Let's, let's do this. But it's kind of like, I think Chuck Swindoll said it. He said, you know, Moses strikes the match, but the wood refuses to burn. You know, it just doesn't go anywhere. He comes out the next day, and they're like, they, they, they don't want anything to do with him. They don't understand him. In fact, they have a very negative response to Moses. And so he has to flee to the wilderness where he gets his 40-year Ph.D. in the wilderness studies. Um, we might also call it the MBSD, the master of the backside of the desert degree. Uh, and that's the same place David got his degree, too, the, the backside of the desert. But Moses's, Moses's problem, we could say, was that he looked left. Remember, he looked left and he looked right, but he didn't look up. I think that was his problem, figuratively speaking, whatever. You know, it's like he just didn't look up. He's still doing his own thing. Um, this was his idea. And I think with so much power, so much influence that he's had in his life and so much education, it just it got to him. You know, and he's just kind of full of himself. He's used to being in control. He's used to people following him. But it, it just, it, it made him a little headstrong, right? A little rash, a little impetuous, we're going to see. And so leaning on his own understanding, being out of touch with the Lord, he actually tries to force the will of God before its time. And it leads to this personal disaster in a very uh, vulnerable time in his life. And uh, that's why he had to hide what he did. Uh, and he had to hide out in the wilderness, right? If it was from the Lord, he wouldn't have had to hide it, you know? But uh, sin does that to us, causes us to hide. But honestly, how many of us can say that we've been here and done this before? You know, gotten a little ahead of the Lord somewhere. You, you tried to maybe to do God's work the world's way, or uh, just got ahead of God on something. Maybe you're maybe you're you're really gifted, maybe you're really talented and you're suited for a special task. You sense that God is calling you to this task and that's that's great, right? But if you're not careful, here's what can happen is you can you can force your way gently with your elbows, right? Uh, getting some people out of the way here and there. You you gently work your way, help God open a door for you. You know what I mean? Uh, and so, basically, you end up forcing God's will prematurely. I think that's what Moses was trying to do here. He knew he was appointed to be the deliverer of Israel. It was in his heart. It was in his mind. But it wasn't the right time. It wasn't God's time yet. Um, we can be so, I think, driven by a sense of purpose, right, and, and, and a need that's there, that we inadvertently take matters into our own hands and basically, at that point, God becomes our sidekick, right, rather than our Lord. So we're doing this, and we're praying, Lord, help me. You know what I mean? 
rather than Lord, you do your thing. So um, it's it's a it's one of those things you just you learn as you walk with the Lord in these things. Now, one man said he did not bother to seek God's way and God's timing. Instead, Moses began to carry out that plan according to Moses' way and Moses' schedule. And as he did, sadly, many things began to just unravel before him. Again, probably most of us can say, been there, done that. But secondly, let's look at Moses' flight to Midian. Uh, Moses' flight to Midian. When Verse 15 um, when Moses heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses uh, fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to rule his, their father, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian. So they're used to getting pushed around by other shepherds. You kind of pick up on that. So they said, An Egyptian. Right? No doubt Moses still looked like an Egyptian, still had Egyptian garb. Uh, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Well, where is he then? Right? <laughs> Why is it that you've left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses was willing to dwell with the man. And he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So, uh, confused, a very confused Moses at this point, flees as a fugitive into the dry and barren desert wilderness of Midian, which is a good picture of how Moses probably feels on the inside, right? Just dry, uh, just barren, you know, spiritually dull on, on a map. Uh, Midian probably refers to the, the northeastern and eastern shores of the Gulf of Aqaba, like on the map up there on the screen. And uh, the Midianites were, the Midianites who lived here, were the descendants of Abraham and his later wife, Keturah, probably after Sarah had, had passed on. But that's where they come from. So uh, this means, then, that there's a good chance that the Midianites actually knew about and served the God of Abraham. Right? They actually served Yahweh. Um, the, the priest of Midian, Rule, also called Jethro, as we're going to see in later chapters. He's a Kenite, and, and the Kenite, or Rule means friend of God. And it appears that Rule really was a friend of God. He was an actual priest of the God of Abraham. Remember, the law and all that stuff hasn't come out yet, so they're still, we're still kind of in this you know, patriarchal-type period where there's not a lot of things set in stone yet that way. But um, the Kenites, too, they were just, you know, the Kenites, the Midianites might have been related, but they, they, these, these groups, they, this, these people in this area, they show kindness to the God of Israel, you know, at all times. So they were always on friendly terms. They're, they're friends of God. I just, I find that kind of neat just studying that this week. But Moses, he, uh, he sits down by a well, and before long, Rule's daughters come to water their father's flocks, right? So, uh, their father's flock. And there's seven of them, obviously used to getting pushed around. They, they fill up the troughs for their sheep. Remember, they're bringing up buckets of water, dumping it in these troughs, and it's just a long, slow process. 
But some other shepherds come, so they've filled up the troughs, and then the other, cup other shepherds come, and they try to push them out and take their water that they've worked so hard to put there. But uh, Moses couldn't resist this at this point, I think, right? He, he hates injustice. It's very clear Moses hates injustice, and he just ha he has this, the, I don't know what you want to call it, but he has, he's being a deliverer. You know, he's got this, like, savior complex in his heart. <laughs> That's the words I'm looking for. Moses has a savior complex, a deliverer complex, and he cannot help but drive these shepherds away and, and rescue these, these girls, these, these daughters of rule. And I think this is a really important event in his life, and it would prove to be later on. Because even though uh, Moses had failed as a deliverer in Egypt, um, he is now allowed, basically, uh, God allows him to still be a righteous deliverer in Midian at this well on a smaller scale. You see that? He failed as a deliverer in Egypt, but God still allows him to be a deliverer on a small scale in the desert almost immediately afterwards. And so it's just a, a little glimmer of hope. It's a little a glimmer, a touch of uh, just a hope that God's not done with Moses, right? Uh, God's not done with him. He even displays a little, look at this, shepherd-hearted servant leadership, right? As a shepherd, he fills up the troughs for someone else's flock. And, and, and just, you know, kind of very humble of him to do this. So right there, already, we have hope for Moses. He's not a total washout, and his education in real spiritual leadership is just beginning, right? Uh, he probably thinks it's the end of the world, right? How could God ever use me again? And yet, his training has just begun. It's really, it's really fascinating. But upon returning to their father, um, the daughters of Rule tell him what happened, and he's like, I find it humorous. He's like, well, where is he then? Why didn't you invite him over, right? You're seven daughters. You're living in the land of Midian, right? You, you don't, you got to catch a man like that, right? <laughs> um, and apparently one of them does. Actually, it's, it's more of a, I guess, an arranged marriage. Uh, he ends up marrying Zipporah, and they have a, a child named Gershom, which basically means a cast-out sojourner. And so that kind of tells you how Moses feels at this point. He just feels like an outcast, a sojourner. Uh, feels like a nobody. He's a little disillusioned. Um, without a home, he's probably thinking, God's done with me, I'm finished. But we know the rest of the story. God's just getting started with this guy at 40 years old. Um, and, and Moses, even though there's a lot of things that we want to change about Moses' life because it's, it's all out of control, right? Moses is right where God wants him. I find that incredibly comforting. And uh, if you're in the desert today, maybe you're going through your own desert experience, uh, learning, uh, you're, you're getting your, your master's in wilderness studies. Um, I want to give you a few principles just to remember and apply. I think I've got six of them. But number one is just rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in God's sovereignty. According to the final verses of this chapter, which we didn't read, but 23 through 25, Israel is still obviously in bondage. Moses didn't deliver anybody except himself. They are still crying out to the Lord, but God knows about it. It actually says, 
God hears their cries. He heard their groaning. He remembered His covenant. You know, He hasn't forgotten His covenant. But the timing, again, is not quite right. Right? If it's us and we hear this kind of groaning, we're going to step in as soon as we can, right? right? We want to stop this injustice, but God is just so much wiser than us. The timing is not quite right yet. You know, he always does things at the appropriate time. When the fullness of time came, he sent forth his son at just the right time. That's how God works. And uh, here in the desert, Moses is, is going to learn to rely on God's sovereignty. He's going to learn to rely on God to provide out in the desert. He's going to uh, uh, learn to, you know, trust God with his own people. You know, if Moses is going to be a leader of Israel, he has to learn that God doesn't need him. You know, that he's expendable. That as soon as he's gone, someone else can step in. You know, I, God doesn't need us. And it's a privilege that he uses us. And I think Moses is learning that now, a hard way in the desert. God doesn't need him. And that God's sovereign timing is just as important to his call, if not more important than, than the action involved in the call. And in, in Midian, Moses learns to put God's people in God's hands and make God the hero and not himself. So God's got this. Secondly, uh, rely on God's grace if you're in the wilderness. Uh, rely on God's grace. Forgetting to rely on God's grace to do what he calls you to do is a good way to end up in the desert. You'll get in the desert every time, right? Uh, to different extremes, but uh, different levels. But Moses is learning... That apart from God, he can do nothing. Uh, John 15, 5, right? Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. I mean, it's not even that you, like, apart from him, that you can do very little. Or you maybe apart from him, you can't do very much. It's no, you can do nothing without him. That's really of spiritual value and worth to the Lord. That's really the work of the Lord. And the Christian life, guys, is a life of dependence. We depend upon God for everything that we do. I mean, it's not even, it's not partial. Your dependence upon God's grace is not partial. It's total. It's a total dependence upon Him. Uh, I think we just sang about that this morning. And, and from, uh, from, from Midian in the desert, that's where, that's where Moses is going to learn this. Like, it doesn't matter how much money, it doesn't matter how much training or charisma or how much notoriety you have. I mean, you're nothing without God's grace. Just, just nothing. So he's going to be brought to an end of himself, and uh, that's what's going to make him a useful vessel. Um, as long as we're self-sufficient, as long as we're self-reliant, the power of God is ineffectual in our lives. Um, third, the way out of the wilderness is down. The way out... Is down, and I don't mean get a shovel and dig. I'm just talking about humility, right? Get down on your knees, humble yourself before God. That's the way to freedom. That's the way out of the wilderness. Um, humility is required to get out of the desert, uh, and just to keep growing. Because if you don't, if you don't humble yourself after some sort of sinful failure, personal failure, um, if you don't confess and forsake your sins that led you there in the first place, you're going to become angry and bitter. And you will be washed up, right? So you have to learn to humble yourself, confess your sins, forsake them. And then uh, from a leadership perspective, and we're going to talk a lot about leadership because Moses is one of the greatest leaders. Um, Moses is going to need more than anything humility. 
Remember Jesus said, whoever wants to be first in God's kingdom must be last, right? They're going to be last. They're going to take the place of a servant. So basically the higher up you get in God's kingdom, the greater you get basically in, I don't know, maybe notoriety or whatever, the, the greater the position he gives you, the more responsibility you have, the more you be actually become a servant of others. That, that's the way it works. I mean, if Moses is going to be this, this great leader, deliverer, um, and if you, were, you and I are going to be leaders, and we all are in some ways, even you children, you have younger siblings that you're leading, right? Um, if you're going to be a leader of God's people, the number one trait that you need for leadership in God's kingdom is the meekness. The meekness, and it flows out of humility. And meekness is just basically power under control. God gives you power, but you, have to, you stay under control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Um, and that's the chief virtue, by the way, that is going to define Moses' life. Uh, Numbers 12, 3 says, There was no one more meek on the face of the earth than Moses. So the wilderness does its work in his life. Uh, number four is just, fail, remember, prevail, failure provides a fresh start. Uh, failure provides a fresh start. Sometimes because we have an overestimated view of ourselves, we let ourselves be destroyed by our personal failures. Uh, we think, this is the end. This is the end of me. I'm just going to crawl into bed. I'm never going to get out. I'm going to crawl under a big rock, and I'm going to hide until everybody forgets about me. And that's it. I'm just done. But failure is just the start of a new beginning for us. You know, that's the kind of God that we have. He's a God of second chances. You confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, right? And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he, he's a God of fresh starts. And uh, that's important to remember. Remember, God's, God's just getting started with Moses. His greatest task isn't going to come until he's 80 years old. You know, that's encouraging. Uh, sometimes, though, um, on your way there to your greatest task, right, you have to eat humble pie. Everybody has to share a little bit about that humble pie. Uh, everybody take a slice here, okay? If you want God to use you, you're going to eat humble pie. That's just what happens. But Psalm 103, you know, if, if you're in the desert, you just feel like a total washout, you know. Look at Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, God says, he remembers that you're but dust. You're dust. Right, basically, you're not perfect. He knows that. He knows you're not perfect. He knows you're a fickle, sinful human. It's no surprise to him when you fail. It's no. It shouldn't be any surprise to us either. And so you shouldn't beat yourself up too much. To be honest with you, uh, beat yourself into a depression that you never come out of. Uh, we do that. We do do that. But Psalm 103 also says he will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever he does not punish us for all our sins he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west the lord yahweh is like a father to his children tender and compassionate to those who fear him so isn't that good? Right? He's a God of forgiveness. You're like a child to a father, right? Just because your child, you know, uh, disobeys you and screws up doesn't mean you disown that child. They're always going to be your child. You're always going to love them. That's just, 
that's the same essence uh, going on there. So, um, remember that. Uh, number five, serve in obscurity. Be content in your time in the wilderness serving God in obscurity. You know, uh, even though Moses had failed miserably, and he, he's probably loathing himself, he had given up all dreams of delivering Israel, there's still within him, very plainly, a desire to be a deliverer. Um, still within him, the sense that this is what he was made for. Okay, he couldn't help but save rules, daughters, from those wicked shepherds. And so, um, when you're in the wilderness, uh, maybe settle down a little bit by a well. Right, the well that is Christ, and just soak in all of God's promises to you that are in Christ. Remember, there's no condemnation in Him, and uh, He works all things for the good of those who love Him. So, get in the Word, get in prayer. You're in the wilderness, less distractions. Right, uh, take some baby steps to serve God in some obscure ways. Uh, just enjoy walking with God each day, and uh, wait on His timing. Don't sideline yourself completely. I know we want to do that. But, you know, Peter wanted to do that too. I'm just going to go back to fishing, right? I denied the Lord three times. Who's going fishing with me? He thought he was done too. And what does Jesus say? Hey, come have breakfast. Let's talk, Peter. And then he tells him until it hurts, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, shepherd my lambs, right? Basically, Peter, get to work, right? You're ready to serve me now. You're ready for that position now. Before Peter failed, he was not ready to be that leading apostle. But it was that wilderness experience for him that, that actually prepared him for that. And so that gives us hope, right? If I see someone in the wilderness, I'm hopeful for them because God wastes nothing. That's number six. God wastes nothing. Even though everything about Moses' life up until this point seems like a disaster, we have to keep in mind that God is shaping him for something great. God's not going to waste any of this. Um, in this wilderness, Moses is going to learn to walk with God, to be a good shepherd, a shepherd who, who leads the flock, doesn't drive the flock. Right? He can't drive sheep. They're not cattle. They have to be led. Um, he's going to learn the ins and outs of the wilderness life. He's going to learn what it's like to camp out there in the wilderness. And someday, uh, Israel is going to do the same. They're going to come out to him in the wilderness and, and freely worship God there where he is at. And um, I also speculate that he's going to learn about being a priest of the God of Abraham from his father-in-law, Rule. And uh, again, questionable, but that's my speculation. But God knows exactly, I think, what he's doing with Moses. And I can say that confidently because one of the ways we know this is from Stephen's speech. This is kind of like the climax here. In Acts chapter 7, he likens Moses' life to a type of Christ. Basically, what Moses went through pointed to who Jesus Christ is and what he would do. And you see this in, in four different ways. Number one, uh, both are chosen as a divine deliverer, ruler, or judge. Both of them are also powerful in word and deed, right? Jesus and Moses. Uh, Moses obviously pointing forward to Jesus. But number two, they were rejected by the Israelites at their first coming. Right? They showed up. Israelites rejected them. Uh, he, Jesus was nailed to the cross, right? Um, number three, uh, he goes away from Israel, marries a Gentile bride. 
as Jesus does mostly with the Gentile church. And then number four, he returns again a second time to deliver Israel. And they say, they, right, the Bible says they're going to they're gonna, you know, look on him whom they have pierced, and they're going to mourn. And uh, so even in this failure, isn't this amazing? God is just painting a powerful picture of Christ. Man, if Moses would have known that, he would have been rejoicing, you know, rather than, than moaning and groaning. But look at how God is able to weave our failures, even like the failures of Moses, into something as beautiful as that. You know, and that's what God does through the wilderness in our lives, is he makes us a lot more like Christ. That's what he's doing. Um, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, sometimes the best education we're ever going to receive is through uh, the school of failure, right? Um, Many times our, our problem, I think, isn't that we, that, we, that it isn't that we failed, it's that we haven't failed enough. Uh, the PhDs are great. Like your education, they're, they're great, right? The master's degrees, the undergrads, they're great. But, and, you know, Moses said you do need, or sorry, God, you do need, it was Peter who actually said, knowledge is a virtue, it's a, it's a virtue that you want to add to your faith. So you want knowledge of God's word. Maybe you need some training in God's word. The knowledge is great. God's going to use the knowledge that Moses has from his Egyptian education. But so much, guys, of the, the spiritual wisdom, teachability, and sensibility to the Spirit of God can only come through the desert times. You need a, an education in the wilderness. And... To be honest, it's the people who have experienced failure, uh, who maybe are in the desert right now, who are on the cusp of what I think is going to be for them a real spiritual breakthrough. And I say that because I've lived it. Okay, and God is, if you're in the desert, remind yourself of Moses' life, that God is building you up. He's preparing you to be a more useful vessel for him and his purposes. He's going to use it all to shape you with. So um, that's what the potter does with his clay, right? Crushes it. In the beginning, it's just kind of a lump, an ugly lump, and he crushes it. And then on that wheel, he builds it back up into something useful, right? Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for your word as always. Uh, we read about Moses' life, and we can't help but think that, well, this is all of us, right? Been there, done that. I'm a sinner just like Moses, uh, totally unworthy of your mercy and your grace. And uh, we admit in many ways that we're just like him. Uh, moment to moment, we make great decisions. We're living for you, and the next moment, we're not. And if not in outward action, it's going on in our hearts, and so... Uh, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace in Christ. That if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, walk by faith, even in the wilderness. Understanding that uh, you work all things for good and for your glory. That uh, through this difficult time that we're in or that we go through, that... Uh, you're actually making us more useful vessels for you. And uh, we'll thank you for that by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.